Man, how's it going, Carsville? Man, it's good to be back with you guys. There's so many great things happening. Do you guys realize in the last six months or so, this location has almost doubled in size. We've seen tons of people be baptized. We've seen people come to faith in Christ, and that's just that's just what it's all about. This is the what's happening here at this location. This is the stuff that Jesus died and rose again for. I'm so excited for what's happening. Are you excited? I mean, listen, it's always a good day when you can raise your Ebenezer among friends. Isn't that right? The, um, and this week, the, the fireworks coming up, I'm, I'm looking forward. We're, go, we're crossing state lines. We're going to buy some explosives and just see what happens. It's going to be great. And uh, some of you, it's going to be a little more professional than that. But uh, anyway, it's good to be with you. I want to talk with you this morning about the unique calling and design that God has given to every single one of you. You see, I believe that God has, has equipped each of us with a unique work to do. He has prepared for us a unique calling, something that he wants us to engage him in today. And I don't know what it is for you, and it's different for every single one of us, and that's just part of the beauty of who God is and, and how awesome he is. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, it's a story that some of you have heard before, perhaps many of you have heard before, but I want you to see here what's at play as God gives us our, our, a really a blueprint for a unique design and calling. Genesis 22 says this, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now hang on for just a second. This is one of the few times in scriptures where the scriptures telegraph for us what's about to happen. And it's important to understand because you may be looking back on this story later going, well, why would God ask Abraham to do this? Because this is pretty extreme. Well, it tells us right up front, this is a test. And everything that you're about to read is a test that God is giving to Abraham, testing his faithfulness and his obedience. God said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Now, it's a familiar story. God has made a promise to a man named Abraham that from him would come a great nation. The promises of God to the whole earth would ultimately be fulfilled through this man. And he has one son, one boy that is the child of promise. He's had some other things happen. He has another son, but this is the son that God has said it is from this boy that the promise will come. And I want you to kill him. It's an interesting story. Abraham's response is really interesting. Something else about this story, Genesis 22, this is the first time the word love is mentioned in the scriptures. Now, if you like sitting down and doing Bible studies on your own, this is just something to throw out there. It's kind of unique. If you want to pull out a Bible commentary or just use the back of your Bible, sometimes it's, it's really interesting to look and see the first time a word is used in Scripture. There, there's some significance there. And we can understand this, can't we? It's not just a scriptural principle, but you can remember perhaps the first time that someone other than your mom or dad said, I love you. Perhaps the first time you heard it in, in a romantic way from from your spice, from your spouse. But you can remember that first time you guys shared that. I can remember the first time I told my wife, Angela, that I love her. We were in high school, we were, we were dating, and the very first time, sitting in my banana yellow 
72 Super Beetle, right as I pulled her up to the house. I mean, if you can't woo a woman in a Super Beetle, she can't be wooed. And the and I, so right at, before I walked her to the door to, to say goodnight, I said, I love you. And I remember how special it was in return to hear her say the words, thank you. And it was... Because it was a big deal. It was a big deal to share those words together. And so it took her a couple of years before she came around. But ultimately, she came around and, and we live happily ever after. So it works out pretty well. But the first time that the word love is used in Scripture happens to be in a story where a father is, is about to sacrifice his only son. And the interesting thing is that when God calls to Abraham... The word that he uses in response gives us a template for how we are to respond to God's unique calling in our lives. In the passage we just read, God calls out and he calls Abraham by name, Abraham. And if you look there, it just says, here I am. In Hebrew, the word that Abraham uses to respond is the word hinani. And if you were to write out the full definition of it, it would read like this. Here I am, right here, right now. It's not just this passive, I happen to be sitting in church this morning, I happen to be here for worship, and I'm just kind of present. But rather, it's this putting someone on notice. Here I am, right here, right now. And the way that Abraham responded to God goes on throughout the scriptures as if this response was carried down and others were told about it. When the bush is burning in Exodus chapter 3 and God calls to Moses out of this bush that just will not burn all the way up, calls Moses by name, the, the word that Moses uses to respond to God is hinani. Here I am, right here, right now. In Samuel, when, when God is calling out to the boy Samuel in, in the middle of the night, what he does know, even though he's confused about what's going on there, how he does know to respond is with this word, hinani. Here I am, right here, right now. It's very intentional. It's not passive. It's I'm here in this moment. I'm ready for you to speak. Whatever you have for me, I will. I, here I am. It's the word that Isaiah uses in chapter 6 of, of the book that goes by his name where he's called up into a vision of heaven. He's called up and there's, there's this call going out from the throne of God that says, who will go for us and who will we send? And Isaiah, with everything that's within him, he calls out, Hinani, here I am, right here, right now, send me. Abraham has this attitude that says, God, whatever work you have for me to do, I'm for it. I'm ready, right here, right now. Some of you have heard me tell before that I was a part of a, a high school state championship team, and I played the most important role on the team as the hydration technician. And um, if they don't have water, they, they don't win, so I'm more important. And so I, I have this role, and I can remember the day of the state championship, and I can remember history class. We had this very intelligent man named Mr. Bruckner who knew hundreds and thousands of years of history, but did not know what was going on right in front of him in the moment. And, uh, and the rest of us knew that. And so as he's going on and he's, he's calling the role in that history class that day, and all the football players are in their jerseys and they're all geeked up and they're all ready to play. And we had this one guy, a friend of mine, Wildman, Brady Bennell. 
Brady was the middle linebacker, and he's the kind of, of middle linebacker that you want. If you look in his eyes, there's a little bit of crazy there, and, and he's all over the place. And, and so and, and it gets to, to Brady's name very, very early on, and Mr. Bruckner says, Brady. And Brady immediately jumps up to the side of his chair and begins tapping his feet in the middle of history class. And then he throws his body down on the ground and picks himself back up. And this was kind of some kind of up-downs or is how they called it on our team. I don't know what you call it today for the football guys. But they just they started, and then as Brady started, then about six other guys with jerseys all got up in the class. And they all started doing the same thing, kind of in unison. They began to, to <laughs> and throw themselves down and, and pick themselves back up. And, and this poor history teacher had no clue. They shouldn't have asked these guys to go to class that day. And, of course, I'm walking around giving them cups of water. Keep going. It's fine. The, um, but they were saying, listen, we're here, right here, right now. And what's important to understand about Abraham, and I take so much comfort in this, is that Abraham is one flawed guy. I mean, from the beginning, I mean, the first time that God called Abraham is like the first time he calls any of us. We're away from God. We're apart from God. We're pagan. We don't know him. God calls out to Abraham. Throughout, throughout the stories of Abraham in the book of Genesis, there was one time where he lied about being married to his wife, and he, it was supposedly to keep her safe, but he, got, he coerced her to go along with this lie too. I mean, this was a guy that kind of bartered with God to see how many people they could find that, had, that were following God in, in the two most morally decrepit cities in history, these sister cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and he, he bartered with God, and he ultimately he, he lost the deal. And then God promises him a son, and, and his impatience for uh, being promised to become a great nation, he actually sleeps with one of his servants and, and has a, a child from there, and Ishmael. And, and today, even if you watch the news, I mean, we are still today generations upon generations later, we are still living in the shadow of Abraham's sin. People are still at war today over his impatience and waiting for the promise of God. I mean, this is one flawed guy, and that helps me so much. But I don't know if you can relate to that. I don't know if you can relate to feeling flawed, perhaps to feeling worthless, perhaps to feeling like something you've done in the past has made you totally unusable in the sight of God. Maybe there's a sin that you committed 5, 10, 20 years ago that you're just letting keep you on the shelf and you're just saying, I'm, I'm just, I know that I'm secure for the sweet by and by, but there's just nothing that I can do right now. I know that there are a, a ton of people who have been attending church for a long time. Maybe not this church, but you've been in church your whole life. You've known God for your whole life, and you've got this mentality that if I can just be a, a good person long enough, if I can just be a, a good husband, if I can just be obedient for enough time, then I'll get to the point where God can really call me and, and God can really use me. But the problem is this. I mean, just like Abraham and, and just like me, there's a good chance before even this day is out, I'm going to do something to royally mess this up. And if I have this mentality that every time I mess up, I've got to, God somehow puts me on the shelf, then I never have the opportunity to answer God the way that, that he wants us to answer him. And that is, here I am, right here, right now. You see, there's no five-day waiting period with God. He's not interested in your past. 
He's interested in your response to him today. He's interested in taking you where you are to where he wants you to be and to who he wants you to become. God is interested in you right here, right now. And Abraham understood that. Abraham understood how God treats sin. Psalm 32 gives us a a powerful principle about the forgiveness of God. Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2, is written by King David, talking about flawed guys. He says, Blessed are those whose transgressions or sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. There was a time in King David's life where he was found in deep, dark sin. He had, he had slept with another man's wife. He had gotten her pregnant. And then to try to, to cover her up, he, he, to cover up the, the whole sin, the whole episode, he ultimately had, had the man killed. But there was also a, a wonderful time in David's life where he understood the forgiveness of God, where he repented before God. And he, he gives us a wonderful understanding of how God treats sin. The word sin means to miss the mark. It's very simple. And I feel that on any given day that there are so many times where I miss the mark. And David says in Psalm 32, blessed are those who miss the mark and are forgiven. And the word for forgiven in Psalm 32 verse 1 means carried away. So you could read the verse this way. Blessed are those who've missed the mark, but God has carried their sins away. For me, the only way or one of the ways I guess that I can relate to this is I don't know what blessed day of the week this happens for you, but for me, this is Tuesday. It's trash day. And I I love trash day because no matter, you you see, I mean, we have times during the week where we cook things that that might smell nice after they're cooked and and taste good going down, but there there is something that happens in that process of cooking and you throw stuff away and the kitchen begins to smell foul. Did I eat what's in, well, you didn't eat what's in the trash, but how, how is that smell coming out of that. It was, it was so good, but stuff gets old. And, and so we put it in the trash and we carry it out to the garage. Now we have to put it in the garage trash can. And I can't put my trash can outside because I live in one of those neighborhoods run by communists that don't want to see my trash can. And so I have to, I have to hide my trash can in the garage. And so I have this reminder every time I go to the garage of what was formerly in the kitchen. And I get in my car and I'm thankful to shut the door and and drive off and drive away from the odor. But I'm so thankful for, according to Genesis, the only day that God blessed twice, Tuesday, the third day. Because that's the day when two wonderful young men dressed in green jumpsuits come and they pick up from the edge of my driveway. They come and they pick up the trash, they dump it in the truck, and it's carried away. That's the picture of what God does with our sin. He takes what once was wrecking our lives, what once was causing us to not be at our very best, and as we repent, as we come to him and ask for forgiveness, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful to carrying it away Every single time. And because of that, there's, there's no excuses for sitting out the Christian life. There's, there's no excuses for not 
being willing to say to God on any given day, whenever you hear his voice, whenever you know he's reaching out to you, whenever you open his word and know he's calling you to follow him in just simple daily obedience, there's no excuse for any of us to not say to him, here I am right here, right now. Because for every single one of us, God has a unique mission and work for you to do. And I want to show you this again from Genesis chapter 22. The same verse. God says, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go. The word go here is really important. This Hebrew word is only used twice in all of scriptures. It's the word lech leha. The first time it's used, it's also used with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, it says this. The Lord had said to Abram, as he was known then, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. God calls out to Abraham in a time where Abraham did not know him. And he says, listen, I've got an amazing plan for you, but I need you to go. And lech leha, it's this emphasis. It's go, I'm talking to you. It's not just this general blanket to the whole congregation, or it's not just this general blanket to anybody who might would answer. But rather, God is having a very personal conversation with Abraham. And he's saying, go, and Abraham knows unmistakably who he's talking to. Go, I'm talking to you because I have a unique work, a unique mission for you to do. God wants a unique and personal relationship with every single one of us, and he wants to respond to him in that personal way. It's a personal call he's giving to Abraham. It's a personal call that he gives to all of us. He says, listen, I want you to leave your country, to take your family. And later on, now today, he's saying, I want you to go and sacrifice your son because I have something personal in store for you. The same word used at the beginning of Abraham's journey is used now again at this point in his journey. Because God is constantly calling us to keep moving forward. I don't believe that the call of God is a one and done type deal. I believe that God gives us seasons in our lives where he has specific things that he wants us to do based on our surroundings, based on on the people that he's put in our paths. And as we accomplish that, he then moves us to the next phase, to the next level. Too many people are sitting in churches today talking about the good old days when they followed God. And at some point, we we followed God in the right way, we responded to Him in the right way, and we check it off, mission accomplished, and we're done. And God's saying, my mission still carries on, and I don't care if you are 9 or 90, I've still got work for you to do. It doesn't matter if you've been following God your whole life or you've just recently followed him, you've just recently accepted Christ as Savior and been baptized. No matter where you are in your walk with God, the call of God is continual and it's to keep moving forward. God has a unique work for your life. And today I believe he's talking to you. And understand he's got no desire to change your personality. He's got no desire to change your nature. He's got no desire to to cause you to do something maybe maybe uncomfortable, but no desire to make you to cause you to do something that you're just not in any way equipped to do. He created you the way you are, and God has a unique work for your life, patterned around your own unique design. 
God has a unique work for every single one of us patterned around your own unique design. There are some of you, many of you in this room, you are in places where you are the only person who can reach the people where you're at. You are uniquely equipped. You are uniquely gifted to talk to people that you, that you work with or maybe people that you find on your street or maybe people in your own family. There are people in our own families who are like, listen, I don't want to wait and I don't want God to send some missionary to me. I just, I just need it to be you. I'm just watching your life. God has a unique work. He can use each of us in ways that he can't use the other because he wants to use us in our own unique way, patterned around our own unique design. Sometimes we find this through our profession. Sometimes God unveils his unique work and his unique pattern to us through, through our chosen profession. This is, can be especially true for men, but it's true for, for women as well. There's a poll that's been done by the, the Gallup organization researching people in the workplace. They've, re, they've researched more than 10 million people and, and, and various levels. This kind of research keeps, keeps going on. They're helping people identify whether or not they're working every day out of their strengths. And perhaps you've gone into and read some of the books involving some of this. Maybe you've taken a strengths finder or something like this. But Gallup has said that what they have found is that most people working a job are not working a job from a place of strength. They're not working a job from their strength zone. And what they have found out is that when we are not working in a, in a place of strength, that we adapt ourselves too much, that we become different people, angry people, upset people, frustrated people, it's not the way we really thought. It's, it's not what we dreamed it would be long ago, that we would go and that, that we would work and that we would be, that we would be supermen and superwomen, that we, would, that we would, whatever we were going to do every day, that we would change the world, that we would, that we would have the mask and the cape and the boots, and we would leap tall buildings. We would catch bullets in our teeth. We would do amazing things. But for most of us, going to work every day just doesn't feel like that. Many are, are dreading it. And you have more negative interactions with people than positive. You treat others around you poorly. You treat customers poorly. You achieve less. And you come across completely miserable. And to top it off, you bring it home. And you have more negative interactions at home than positive. Not being creative with your kids. Not romantic with your spouse. There's no cape. There's no mask. You can't remember the last time you saved the day. But you can remember the last diaper you changed. And how... Amazing that was. And it's caused us to sit back and to be on the shelf and say, God, there's no way you can call me to something unique in the middle of all of this. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Right where you are, I want to open your eyes to the possibilities. I want to open your eyes to the possibilities that there is something here that I have gifted you to do. And whether or not you're doing that all day or whether or not you're just doing it part of the day, listen, I have uniquely equipped you. I have put you right where I've placed you for a unique purpose, for a unique reason. And there are people right around you today who absolutely need you to respond to me and to understand what I have for you and then to give it away to others and impact and influence their lives. And knowing that gives us a little more purpose, gives us a little more value, gives us a little more reason to wake up in the middle, in the morning, and to go to work for the long day. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 says this. People can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find 
enjoyment. Listen, whatever you do every day, the moments of strength, the moments of drudgery, see it as coming from the hand of God. This redeems the moments of drudgery. This redeems the moments that tears you down to see every single bit of it as coming from the hand of God and trying to inject his mission and his purpose into it. God has put a design, a unique design together for all of us. And his word bears this out. God has put a unique design into all of us to help us work and to live from a place of strength, from our spiritual giftedness. He's given all of us spiritual gifts. He's given all of us the ability to do at least one thing with everything we've got and to knock it out of the park for every single one of us. He's got a unique mission, a unique talent, a unique work that he wants you to put into play every single day. Robert Lewis says this, God has designed men or women to contribute to the whole community, specifically to his church and to his kingdom. Every single one of us have the opportunity to contribute to the work of the kingdom of God. First Peter chapter four says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If you speak, you should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If you serve, you should do so with the strength that God provides. Listen, the work of God in this church, the amazing things that have been happening in this community and all around the world needs his people to be faithful and to understand that God has given all of us unique gifts and talents and personality, and he wants you to engage just the way you are. Many of you are scared that if I would engage God, that he's going to turn me into something that I'm not, that he's going to make me cut my hair and tuck my shirt in, and, and I got to burn all my CDs, and I'm not going to really enjoy things the way that, that I want to. Listen, many, many people are scared. They think God's going to rob them of their identity. But God's not going to do that. He's not going to rob you of identity or personality or the things that you love because he gave you those things in the first place. And he wants to leverage them and to use them in your life and in the life of others every single day. Listen, there is a battle raging in this world. There is a battle raging for the souls of all mankind. It's bigger than any one of us. But those living for eternal reward and with the eyes on eternity know that if every single one of us contribute and do our part, that we become a part of God's greater work. Listen, it's not about starting the big organization. It's not about starting the big church. It's not about doing some big work. It's about every single day being faithful to the call of God. It may be as simple for some of you in here, for many of you in here, as just walking across the street and demonstrating the love and kindness of God to a neighbor or to someone perhaps who's demonstrated something other than God's love to you finding your unique call, your unique work that God has given you to do can be something very, very simple. It can be very simple obedience. But when that simple obedience matches with God's work, it becomes something divine and something miraculous and something that fuels our soul and puts him on display. Listen, with all of our flaws, with all of our mistakes, the people that we are, God does not give up on us. He continues to call us to engage this world with him. Our response needs to be to throw off the past, to throw off all the excuses and to answer him, to be ready to answer him every single day. Here I am right here, right now. Abraham continues to respond to God this way in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22, they 
God gives Abraham this task, this test. He doesn't know it's a test. I want you to kill the boy. And they go and they begin to journey with a couple of servants. And on the third day of, of the journey, Abraham and Isaac, they go up this, this mountainside together. And they go up and they're gathering the wood and they're preparing the altar. And, and Isaac looks at his dad and says, where's the, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God's going to provide one. God's going to provide a sacrifice. The New Testament says that what was going through Abraham's mind was that he was ultimately going to kill his son and that somehow God would bring him back to life. That was Abraham's faith. But in this moment, he's planning to follow through with what God has called him to do, to kill his son. I would love to know how the interaction actually went because Isaac is not this small child from flannel graph or pictures or something that you've seen. We believe about this time. Isaac is probably around 30 or in his 30s. And so you have this moment where the sacrifice is supposed to be him. And I don't think Abraham had to wrestle him down on the altar, but I would imagine because a 30-year-old, could, he could have taken the old boy, to be honest. But at some point, there had to have been some agreement where Isaac just willingly laid himself down. And then you get to this point in verse 10, and the scriptures say this, that he, Abraham, reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And what does he say? Hineni. Here I am. Right here. Right now. I mean, imagine pulling out the knife and believing that God is going to do something amazing, but believing that God is going to make you go all the way with this. To pull it out and to raise it over your head and to be ready to follow God no matter how hard the task is that he calls you to, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what it is that he's asking us to do, to say, okay, I'll follow through and know that you are somehow going to work this out in ways that I don't understand. And in this particular case, right before he plunges the knife into his son, he hears the words, Abraham, and he answers the same way. Here I am. He doesn't say, oh, thank goodness. Instead, he answers God. He answers the, answers the angel of the Lord and says, here I am right here, right now. I'm following through. I'm, I'm, I'm going to obey. I'm going to go all the way with this. And he stopped by God. And God later on would provide the sacrifice for him. Abraham passed a major test of faith and obedience. And I don't think for anyone in this room, God's going to call you to do anything like that. But he may be calling you today. I believe he's calling you today to simple obedience, to simple faith, to daily opportunities to keep moving forward with him and to keep engaging the unique work he's given you to do in the unique way and in the unique place. How will you answer God today? I pray that you will respond in and here I am, right here, right now. Let's pray together. Today in this moment, just a moment, Jonathan's going to come back up and we're going to end today with communion, which is a, a beautiful way to end 
what God's been challenging us with this morning because communion is this time where we say, okay, I'm confessing this before you, God. And once you confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we do that, there is no reason why we cannot be a part of the daily unique mission and unique work that God has given every single one of us to do. Sitting in your seat right now in this moment, I want to give you the opportunity. If there's something that God's put on your heart, put on your mind, that you need to confess before him, would you do that right now? You're sitting here today and every single one of us with our heads bowed and our eyes closed to say to God, Hineni, here I am, right here, right now. You were a part of his story, his epic story. May we be faithful in just our small parts to be a part of his kingdom come and his will being done. As you pray, Hineni, I believe God will give you a specific work a specific person to reach out to, to share the love and kindness with of God. Maybe it's a specific community you need to engage or a specific family you need to engage. Maybe he's calling you to give to someone who needs it. Whatever it is, would you pray hen and knee? And when the work is done, would you pray it again? And would you find a spiritual life that is vibrant that is always moving forward, never stops, never holds back. God, today, I pray that you would allow us to become the people that you want us to be. God, your word has given us the example from Abraham, Moses, to Samuel, to Isaiah. God, to your only son who was willing to lay down his life. God, you've given us the example to say hen and knee. May it become a part of our daily walk with you. God, I pray that every single one of us, you would open our eyes for every single one of us to see the opportunities, to see the unique calling you give us every single day. We'll give you all the glory for all that you do as we're faithful to obey. In Jesus' name, amen.